Luke today, not Matthew. We're still listening to the stories of Jesus. We're still in our sermon series, Ears to Hear, listening to the stories of Jesus. But today's parable comes out of Luke and not Matthew. So turn to Luke chapter 13, and we're only looking at verses six through nine. Luke chapter 13, verses six through nine. Uh, We'll go from that parable to a couple of other texts as we think about how that parable should impact us. But we're gonna start in Luke chapter 13, verses six through nine. How many of you have ever heard the saying, the proof is in the pudding? You know what that means, right? But have you ever thought about the words? Because it makes absolutely no sense. There is no proof in the pudding. I don't know what proof would be as an ingredient, but it would probably make the pudding taste pretty terrible. And so proof in the pudding makes absolutely no sense. Yet we all know exactly what it means. We understand years and years and years ago, it was the proof is in the tasting of the pudding. And so if the pudding tastes good, then it's gonna be good, but you gotta, you gotta show me. You gotta prove it, right? The proof is in the tasting of the pudding. And we got lazy and stopped saying all of those words and we shorten things like we do around here all the time with the BTS and the SSC and every other acronym we have going on. And so it became proof is in the pudding. But pudding used to be like sausage too. So I don't know if that's good or bad or I don't know what that is. But anyway, today we have another saying that will pop into your mind at some point in the discussion of the text. You will know a tree by its fruit. You ever heard that? Do you know what that means? Well, many of you are churched kids. You come from Christian families. You understand that when we start talking about knowing a tree by its fruit, you understand that Christians are supposed to produce fruit and that we will know, it's one sign of how we know somebody's a genuine Christian, is if they're producing fruit. We've all heard this before. And so today we're gonna look first at the parable of a barren fig tree and what Jesus says to us about it. Then we're gonna look at another text that discusses a tree. And then we're gonna look at some fruit and that's gonna be the way we do our outline today. So I'm not gonna give you points out of this. This is a short parable. It has really one main point and the main idea is this. You ready to write it down? Genuine Christians should produce spiritual fruit. It's pretty obvious, right? Genuine Christians should produce spiritual fruit. But now stop and think about this for a moment. Because if you only had a track handed to you, if you were only told repent and believe and you will have eternal life, you may not have known that, wait a second, you mean if I am in Christ and no longer in Adam, that a genuine Christian should produce a type of fruit, should produce a type of behavior that's gonna be different than what the world does. And so there's an expectation on me as a follower of Christ to produce the fruit consistent with the kind of person I am. If I am in Adam, I'm gonna produce fruit consistent with being in Adam. If I am in Christ, I should be producing fruit consistent with being in Christ. So when we look at our actions, when we look at our recent actions, when we look back over the course of our recent past, it's a temperature check. You take your temperature in the morning and you find out, do I need to stay home? Do I need to go to class? I mean, we've all been doing that for the past two years with everything going on. And so a temperature check spiritually is what are my actions saying about me? Is it saying that my spiritual health is in a good spot or that my spiritual health is in a bad spot? So think about that as we roll through this particular parable. Before we read the parable, look with me in chapter 13 of Luke in verse three. 
It says in verse three, we've got some repetition we've got to keep in mind before we hit this parable. It says in verse three, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then in verse five, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There's repetition. So we underline that repetition and we say, wait a second, there's something important going on here. There's an emphasis that's taking place. And then we come to the parable. So if you're able, would you stand in honor of reading of God's word as we read verses six through nine of Luke chapter 13. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let alone this year also until I dig around it, put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help me and my words to stay true to your text. I pray that you would help anything that's not consistent with your word to be quickly forgotten and things that are consistent to be remembered. Lord, I pray that your spirit would do your work and your people through your word, through your power, for the name of Jesus and his fame. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, and you may be seated. All right, there, there's, no, there's no rocket science in the explanation of this parable. This parable has application perhaps to Israel as they have rejected Jesus and he's telling them all, you should all repent or likewise perish. You should all re repent and likewise perish. So here comes the parable. Remember the parable is that story that is tossed alongside the principle that's being taught to help us understand that earthly, that heavenly meaning, that heavenly principle with that earthly story. And so he's saying to them, a man had a fig tree planted. We understand what that is. It was in his vineyard. And so he came then to seek fruit. So he's seeking fruit. That would give some indication to us that this tree has been there for a significant amount of time. We find out later, he's come for three separate years. This tree that he's seeking fruit from, he has an expectation that it delivers the fruit. And so in that, this is probably a good looking tree. I mean, you think about this fig tree and the story he's telling, and it's probably got nice bark on it. It's probably got limbs. It's probably got everything that a fig tree is supposed to have. I don't know what that is, but it's got it all, right? And so this is a nice little fig tree. I can't help but think of fig newtons when I think of fig trees, and that's not what they produce. But anyway, it doesn't matter. So this is a nice tree, right? So think about that, and we don't allegorize all these parables. We don't draw a direct correlation, but think about that in the aspect of the Christian life. How many of us, how many of those that we know, on the exterior, we look just like we're supposed to look? We're cleaned up. We know the right words. We understand what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to say. We understand what we're not supposed to do and not supposed to say. And so we've grown up in the Christian households. We've grown up going to church. We understand all the things. We understand how the Lord's Supper works and what a baptism is. And so we understand and can act the part. But how many of those who act the part on the outside actually on the inside are spiritually dying and their actions don't reveal fruit consistent with being a believer? Think about this. Okay, they tell me that I'm supposed to read my Bible. So I'll get up in the morning, I'll read a verse, check. I may even read a chapter, double check, gold star. I'm supposed to pray, God help me, check. I'm supposed to 
be kind to other people or I'm supposed to do these other things, check, check, check. And yet inside our heart can be empty and callous and cold because we're not pursuing all of these things to know God and to know Christ and to have our hearts flood with a desire to love him more and to do more for him. We're checking legalistic boxes, putting a weight on our shoulders that we can't bear. We know how to do that, don't we? And what this text is saying to us is he went and he looked at this fig tree and it was time for it to produce. And verse seven says, he said to the vine dresser, it hasn't produced for three years now. Cut it down. Now, what we can't do in this parable is think, oh, wait a second. So that means that, that God is harsh, but Jesus is kind. No, 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 no. That's heresy. God from eternity past understood that Adam would rebel and that Jesus would have to come. He would send his only begotten son because he so loved the world that he wanted to provide salvation for us that we would not perish, but would have eternal life. And so God from eternity past understood this. He wasn't surprised by Adam's rebellion. He's not surprised by your rebellion either. This was the plan all along that Jesus would come, born of a virgin. We celebrate this at Christmas time, that he would live a perfect life, that he would go to the cross, that he would die a substitutionary death in my place, in your place, and for my sake, and for your sake, that he would pay that penalty on the cross so that then by grace, through faith in Christ alone, I could be forgiven. God knew that. He's not the bad guy. Don't take that out of this parable. Don't allegorize that to this point. This parable is about repenting and showing fruit or perishing. I find no fruit, cut it down. Okay, okay, wait a second. It's a tree, it's in the vineyard. Sir, let it alone this year. I don't know why this next part's in here. I have no clue. It's showing an abundance of care for a tree that deserves no care. It's been here three years. It's taking up space. It's using up the ground. And the vine dresser says, I'll dig around it. I'll put on manure. Now, perhaps this is Jesus' way of saying to those who are Israel who are rejecting him, you've got me right here. You've got a little more time. It's not quite expired yet. You have time to repent lest you perish like this tree. I don't know what I would think if I were the Pharisees or the Sadducees sitting around and Jesus was telling a story and was comparing me to a tree and then he was saying, I'm gonna put manure around it. I don't know what I would think about that, but this is what our text says. Verse nine, it says, then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. All right, who owns the tree? It's the owner of the vineyard, right? So there is a correlation of application to all of us. Who owns us? Nobody. Well, wait a second. Remember, we think about our life as a stewardship, not an ownership. Why is that? Because God created the world in six literal days, rested on the seventh, everything that we see, all that is in it. And then God created man on the sixth day as the pinnacle of his creation. And all of us are from that creation. So God has created us. God has given us gifts. Many of you are talented musically. Many of you are talented in athletics. Some of you are incredibly creative. Many of you, most of you, all of you are incredibly intelligent or you wouldn't be sitting here. And so God has gifted you with minds. He has gifted you with abilities and your job is to steward all of that. So God has placed you in his earth, in his vineyard, and you are taking up space. 
You are taking up resources, you're taking up air, you are taking up all of these things that God has created, you're taking up space in his vineyard, and our responsibility, why have I been created? I've been created to give glory and praise to God alone. And so if I've been created to give glory and praise to God alone, and yet I refuse to do it, no, I'm gonna take glory to myself, I'm gonna be selfish, I'm gonna be all about me, then what am I if I am not a tree planted in a vineyard, taking up the roots of the soil, depleting the soil of all of those roots, taking up that space, and then producing absolutely nothing? So if you're in this world and in this life, and you're doing absolutely nothing, for the Lord. You're producing absolutely no fruit. You haven't figured out yet that God created you and that you are most satisfied and happiest when you're most satisfied in Christ, when you're producing for Christ. You haven't figured out yet that this is the best way to live life and you're still living life in that old way, in that fleshly way, in that Adam way, and you haven't figured out how to live life in Christ and how much freeing it is and that you're not in slavery to sin anymore, but you have freedom in Christ to have true, genuine peace and joy and happiness. You're sitting over here in your old ways. You're not producing. You're a tree in a vineyard that has no fruit. So the tree gets ample time for water. The tree gets manure around it. We don't know what happens in the future. They don't tell us. Don't you hate movies that do that to you? So I want to know, did the tree produce? Did you come by next year and find a few figs? A whole lot of figs? Did you come by next year and find no figs? Cut it down. What good is the fig tree if it doesn't produce figs? I don't, I don't know if it's good for making anything or not. It's good for firewood. We're not told. So let me draw another point of application for you here. This tree was given an abundance of grace with a warning of judgment. In all of our lives, we are given a warning of an impending judgment. If you haven't repented and put your faith and trust in Christ, there is a judgment that is coming. If you have put your faith and trust in Christ, we're gonna be judged by our works as to what we've done. There's a judgment that's coming. You're here at Cedarville. You get chapel five days a week, whether you like it or not, right? You get a Bible minor. You have discipleship emphasis in all of the dorms. You have D groups that you can sign up for and over a third of you do so voluntarily. You have all of these things that are sitting right in front of you. It's like chopping up the ground so that the water can get in. It's like putting nutrients, we won't call it manure. It's like putting nutrients around the tree so that the tree can grow. But the tree still has to take those in and produce the fruit. You still have to seek out all of those things. You still have to, in your Bible classes, pay attention, engage. You still have to, in your academic disciplines, talk to your faculty members, engage with those faculty members. You still have to be involved in discipleship. You can sit back in the corner of campus and say, I don't wanna have any part of it. And you can exist on this campus and you can be in the dark without anything happening in your life spiritually if you choose to do it. It's possible. It's not wise. It's not good. But if that's you, I want to say to you this morning, if you're hands off, hands back, you've got shields at full strength, Scotty, right? You've got the Star Trek thing going on. You're sitting there with shields up. I don't want to have any part of it. There's a warning here for you. What does the fruit say about your life? There's an expectation that a tree will produce fruit. I plant an apple tree, I want apples. I don't want oranges. I don't like oranges. Some of you, how many of you like oranges? Yeah, how many of you don't like oranges? Yeah, oh, there's far less of us. I don't like oranges. They're messy, they get juice everywhere. I'll drink orange juice, just give me the good stuff. Throw the orange away. I like apples, I want an apple, a nice juicy apple. How many of you like apples? There we go. How many of you don't like apples? 
What's wrong with you? <laughs> How many of you put salt on your apples? Okay, I'll have counseling another day. <laughs> a tree produces after its kind. All right. If you're in Adam, sorry I'm making you guys the in Adam people today, but if you're in Adam, what do you produce? Selfishness, lostness, bad fruit, all the things that you don't like, all the things that make a bad friend, all the things that make you selfishness. I don't like somebody that's totally selfish. If you're an Adam, you're gonna do bad things. You're not gonna live like a believer. We shouldn't expect you to. You're not a Christian. If you are claiming to be in Christ, right? If you are claiming to be in Christ, what fruit should we expect from you? That you behave like Christ. That you produce fruit like Christ. That your responses and your reactions are like Christ. I'm far less worried about people who say that they are not followers of Christ and then they go out and support things that aren't biblical and they do things that aren't good and that aren't right because we know they're not saved. They're in slavery to their sin. They're in slavery to the, to the flesh. They have no hope of getting out of that by their own power and their own strength. And so we don't get mad at them. They're not the enemy. The enemy is the devil. These are people who are trying to win to faith in Christ. What frustrates me is when those who say they're in Christ don't act like they're in Christ. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Did Jesus ever talk about any other trees and its fruit? He did in Matthew chapter seven, verses 15 through 20. Matthew chapter seven, verses 15 through 20. I've got a slide for you. It says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly or ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now this is repeated too. So you would underline this, you would star this, you would highlight this, whatever it is you do in your Bibles to recognize this is an issue. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Well, no. Are figs from thistles? Well, no. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Repeated here, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So, if you encounter a spiritual leader, Say you leave Cedarville, you graduate, you're gonna find a local church. You're looking for a local church in this new community where you've landed the job of your dreams and you go to this church and you find a spiritual leader that exalts themselves rather than exalting Christ. What do you do? Run. Very far away. You encounter a spiritual leader that does not show any of the fruit of the Spirit. You know all you need to know about that situation. So what if someone encountered you, either now or after you graduated, and all they knew of you is the actions that you produce? Are they gonna say there's somebody that's in Christ? Uh, we're not talking about works-based salvation here. We are saved by grace alone and faith alone, through faith alone and Christ alone for God's glory alone. It's saved by grace, we get that. But if we are in Christ and we're not producing any fruit, we're like this tree. Okay, let me get you to some application questions. We're not done yet, but we've got some application questions. And then I've got another verse I wanna show you. First application question. If we do not bear fruit, what does that indicate about our eternal destiny? I'm not God. I can't look at your soul. 
I can't say whether you're saved or whether you're not saved. It's an inward decision that everybody has to make for themselves. God has no spiritual grandchildren. You may come from a great family. You have to make this decision. Nobody else can make it for you. But if I look at your life and all I see are characteristics, all I see is that you're supporting things that are anti-biblical. All I see is that you look like you're still in Adam and like you're not in Christ. If all of your actions indicate that, then what does that possibly say about your spiritual destiny? You can still fake it. You can still do a whole lot of good things knowing that in your heart you've never genuinely repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ. It's possible to fake it. That's the reason I can't know for sure. But this is a temperature check. What does it likely say about you? So then number two, what does our fruit say about our spiritual health? Say you are in Christ. Maybe you have repented and you're just in rebellion and you're just living like the world and your spiritual health's not good. Okay, so then that gives me the logical question here. What is this fruit? If a good tree produces good fruit, if I'm expected as a Christian to produce the fruit of a Christian, if that's my expectation, then what is the fruit? Well, Galatians 5.22 answers that question for us. So let's go there. Let's look at that. Let's look at that verse. Let's spend a little time on that verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. What is this verse telling us is the fruit of the Spirit. Look at what it's saying to us right here. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, so what if in my actions I don't show love, but I show hate? What if in my actions, every time I get on social media, and I see somebody that's posted something I disagree with, my first response is to jump all over them with hatred. What if somebody says something or does something, even here at Cedarville, that I don't like? What's my reaction to them? Is it to love them? Or is it to jump all over them with words that are harsh and not kind and not nice? Is it to have an immediate reaction anytime something that I don't like happens that I'm gonna absolutely destroy that person? Love or hate? Joy. See, I'm lucky because I married Joy, so I have joy in my heart all the time, right? <laughs> She's not even here to hear that. Y'all have to tell her I said it Thursday, okay? Just kidding. Joy or do I have anxiety, misery, Sorrow, where am I? If I'm experiencing all of those things, is that because of a good reason or is that because of a bad reason that I'm letting the things of this world, the cares of this world, distract my heart so much that I'm not putting my trust in Christ, that I'm not letting my request be made known to God so that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus? Am I too focused on the things of this world and not focused enough on the things of Christ so that I don't recognize who is sovereign and who's in control, but that I'm living like somebody who has no one that's in control, who hasn't surrendered their life to Christ rather than somebody that has surrendered my life to Christ and now I'm in Christ and all I have to do every morning is get up and please God. All I have to do is get up every morning and say, God, what do you want me to do today? God, I'm your servant. Here I am. I'm humble before you. You tell me what to do. Let's go do it and let's have fun doing it. Or am I over here trying to control everything? Peaceful or quarrelsome? Are you the person that brings calm to situations or are you the person that stirs up situations? Now, if in every relationship you have, 
there tends to be a problem. There tends to be drama. There tends to be quarrelsomeness. Chances are you may be the common denominator between all those issues and the problem may be you rather than everybody else. If you stir up all of those things continuously, that's not a fruit of the spirit. Peaceful. It's not that big a deal. Listen, if I could give you one piece of advice in life, most things in life aren't that big a deal. It'll be okay. God's still on his throne. God's still in control. Patience. Oh, this is hard. We don't like this. I don't like this. Long-suffering. Or are we impulsive, rash, and impatient? All right, how many of you are impatient? How many of you need to repent for lying after chapel? (laughs) Kindness. Oh, some of you are incredibly kind. Some of you haven't developed that spiritual gift just yet. Grace, mercy, benevolence, courtesy. You just do kind things. It comes natural to you. Some of us have to work on it more. What comes natural is to be harsh, sharp, cutting, rude. Goodness, goodness. What are some synonyms of goodness? Character, decency, honesty, integrity, virtue, uprightness. Is that what you're demonstrating? The antonyms, evil, immorality, iniquity, sin, wickedness. You know your actions. I I don't know everything you're doing. I I don't know all the actions. I I don't see everything that goes on. What do your actions say about your spiritual health? Faithfulness. Are you constant and dedicated and devoted and loyal and steadfast and true? Or are you fickle, disloyal, faithless, treacherous, untrue? Are you a traitor? What are your actions saying about where your heart is in its relationship to Christ? If you are in Christ, are you producing fruit that says that you're in Christ? Gentle, delicate, maybe a better word, non-abrasive. Are you rough, angry, abrasive, harsh, scathing? You know, sometimes we're harsh, But then we'll say at the end of it, I'm just kidding. Are we? Is that really a way to build somebody up rather than tear somebody down? How we use our words is important. How we treat people is important. Self-control, restraint, discipline, willpower. All of these have to be done through the power of the Spirit. We can't do them in our own strength. But do we seek to serve others or do we want others to serve us? Are we lazy or are we diligent? So we have some of these at Cedarville. We call them core values. What are our core values? You know them. Love God, love others, integrity and conduct, excellence and effort. These are our core values. These are what we try to live out. We try to love God and love God well. We want to love others and love others well. We want integrity in our conduct. We want excellence in our effort. Are we doing that? Spiritual health check. Sometimes under the cause of righteousness, sometimes under the cause of being right, we may say the right things, but do it with such a bad attitude that we do absolutely no good. Sometimes we get so frustrated 
When somebody doesn't say something exactly like we want or believe exactly like we want them to believe, but our response is so harsh and critical that we're sinning in the response. And that's my fear for us. Somebody paints something on a rock. Yeah, all right. We're not changing our positions. Our doctrinal statement is solid. It's one man, one woman in a covenant relationship for life. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's not changing. That changes when this book changes. I'm pretty sure the canon's closed. It's already been written. It's done. God created us male and female. It's done. There's some people get so harsh, so bent out of shape that all they wanna do is tear down, destroy, say incredibly harsh things. Come on now. I care about you more than that. All of us on this campus are sinners. All of us on this campus are called to fight against our sin, to fight against the flesh, not to make peace with it. We are to make war with it. So whether your struggle is same-sex attraction or transgender dysphoria, or if your struggle is lust and pornography, if your struggle is pride and arrogance, if your struggle is gossip, you are to make war against your sin, not make peace with your sin. You are to fight against that sin. And if you are here and you wanna fight against that sin and not embrace your sin and say, I wanna grow in Christ and godliness, welcome to the club. Come join us all. If somebody says something and it's wrong and it's against the Bible, let's love them. Let's tell them why. We're not compromising. But we don't have to be mean in the way we say it. This is who we are. We are people of the book. Here's what it says. If you disagree with me, I love you anyway. Because God loved you anyway. And God died on the cross to save you from your sin. And God loves you because you are in his image just as much as I'm in his image. And so let me be respectful of you when I say to you, here's what I believe and here's why. Because I stand on this book and this is what this book says. And I'm gonna be kind, I'm gonna be nice, and I'm gonna disagree with you. When I look around at politics and when I look around at religion and when I look around at society, I see a whole lot of people that claim to be Christians that are just downright mean. And that concerns me. And I don't want that for any of you. I want us to be an uncompromising place of truth where we stand on compassionate conviction. We don't compromise. We know what the Bible says. This book is infallible. It's inerrant. It's sufficient. It's God's word. We stand on it. We stand on it without compromise, without apology. But we do so in a nice way. Because we love you and we want you to grow and we want what's better for you. So, that's my concern for us. We stand with compassionate conviction. Don't hear me saying we're compromising. We're not. Don't hear me saying I don't want to stand for truth. I do, I will. But let's do it in the right way with the right tone that pleases God, not in a way that we have to repent for the way we stood for truth. Does that make sense? All right, now I have a hard time with all this stuff, like being nice and all this. 
So the Lord's done a lot of work in my life. Uh, you can ask my wife. So I have some assignments for you for Christmas. Is that okay? These are easy assignments. These are good assignments. Fruit of a Christian. What would that look like? What if every one of us, when we left for Christmas break, you got finals coming up, we got a crazy busy week. I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about when you leave for Christmas. What if every one of us, when we left for Christmas, could do these four things? What if we could thank someone? Hey, you could do that today. You could, but I mean like really thank someone. I mean like pull out old fashioned paper and a pen. If you're really godly, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a fountain pen where you loaded the ink in it yourself. If you've never seen one of those, I can show you one. I can show you what it looks like. Uh, you, you can write it with a fountain pen and say thank you to somebody. Maybe your mom and dad who helped make sure that you're here and you get to experience this education. Maybe somebody else. I don't know. Whoever the Lord lays on your heart, thank someone. Wouldn't that be nice of us to actually say thank you to somebody for doing something incredibly gracious in our lives? Encourage someone. Instead of the cutting words, how about we go to someone and say, you know what? You really inspired me to be a better person. You're incredibly kind and I just really admire that trait in you and I wanna have more of that in my life. Can you imagine how much that changes somebody's day if you just go up to them and encourage them? Pray for someone. Hey, if you don't know who to pray for, we have a journal that'll be for sale tomorrow and, just kidding. <laughs> I'm not even selling these things. This is the integrated business core. I just, pray for someone. If you don't know who to pray for, we got some dear friends in India right now that could really use your prayer. Share the gospel with someone. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is born. You know what? I love you guys. I want all of you to learn earlier in life than I did that true happiness is found in satisfaction in Christ that being and living an incredible life comes from the fruit of the Spirit. I'm far happier when I'm serving others and when I'm doing good things for others and when I'm doing good things for God than I am when I'm being selfish and seeking my own interests. I would love for you all to understand and learn. You don't have to get angry and bitter. You can have joy and you can have peace so that for the rest of your days you would glorify God and have a blast doing it. That's my prayer for you. Let me close this. Dear Lord, I pray that anything I've said that should be forgotten, you'll wipe from minds. Lord, I pray anything consistent with your word, that's, that's solid with your word, Lord, that you would just help it to sink deep into our souls and into our lives, that you would help us to live lives that are in Christ, that show that we are in Christ. Lord, that you would help us by the power of the Spirit, using your word in our lives that you would help us to be able to live a life that would glorify you and be a good steward of what you have given us. May we be trees that bear much fruit, Lord, not just a little fruit, but much fruit for your honor, for your glory. I pray this for myself. I pray this for our faculty and staff. I pray this for our students. Lord, would you use us? Would you grow us? Would you make us more like you? Would you draw us to yourself by the power of your spirit so that you would use us beyond what we could even fathom or imagine for your glory? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.